It's going to be good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning to prepare our hearts for the Word. Father, we thank You today. We love You, and we are so excited to be the church of Jesus Christ. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, and You died. Lord, You came victoriously. Lord, and You tore down all the old regulations and all the old things of religiosity. God, and You built us together in Christ. We are the living temples of the Holy Spirit who now resides in us. There is no more wall of separation. And Jesus, we realize You have come once. And Lord, that You are also coming again. And Lord, I pray that You would continue to visit with us over this time period as we wait for You. And Lord, while we wait for that final visitation again, Lord, may we continue to sing Hosanna in the highest. May we continue to sing Hallelujah and be worshipers in spirit and in truth. And God, I pray today that, Lord, that we would just receive Your Word, that lives would be changed, Lord, and we would take Your Word from this place. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. If you got your Bibles, turn with me today in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Title of this morning's message, part of our Words in Red series as we're getting close to the end, is The Time of Visitation. The Time of Visitation. Have you received your time of visitation? We're going to talk about that today. Uh, Looking at this special day in Palm Sunday. Luke chapter 19. What happens, uh, though, when we miss God's plan or purpose for our life? How many people, don't raise a hand, but how many people could look back at your life and say, if you look back, you say, man, there was a time in my life where I, I think I missed God, whether that job, I shouldn't have took that job, or I, uh, maybe it was that guy or that girl you dated. I was like, wow, I really should not have ever dated him or her, right? Or you, that situation, that circumstance, you could look back and say, there was a period in my life where I really was missing God right then, but thank be to God, I found Him now, right? Amen? Uh, But what happens, though, when we miss that that time of visitation, that plan or purpose that God has for our life? Uh, Are there consequences? And is there a way back to grace? Maybe you're here today and you would say to yourself, uh, you know, I really am longing right now for my life to be better. I really would like more peace. I really need God to deliver me in some things. I really would like just God's touch on my life. Uh, Maybe there's some trouble that you're going through today. Or maybe you're here today and you might feel or you're listening to the sermon today and you you feel like you're just kind of going through this place of spiritual exile. You feel like you're alone. Uh, You're doing life all by yourself. You've asked, uh, you've even cried out to God and you say, God, where are you? Or God, where's my peace? Or God, why am I missing? Why do I feel like I'm missing out on my blessing? Or God, why do I feel like I'm kind of under captivity today? Is this trial in your will or God, I don't even understand right now. Sometimes we go through things and we we get to that place and that's okay. We're going to kind of look at those answers today. Uh, Why? Why am I at where I'm at? Maybe I'm maybe I'm looking for my life to be better. And maybe you're wondering, I I wonder, did I miss God somewhere along the line? Because why in the world is this going on? Uh, Let's look at Luke 19 here, because I want to ask you today, if you're you're in this room or you're here today and you'd say, I would really like some more peace in my life. And obviously we know we'd all love some more peace. But I'm talking about right here on the inside of you. If you're asking yourself, I really right now I need some security. I need some confidence that God is with me and that I know that God is with me, that I'm with God. I'm going to ask you today, would you notice if Jesus came to visit you? Would you notice if Jesus came to visit you today? And look with me, Luke 19. Let me give you some background. Luke 19, verse 41. 
here we find something happening. Very some, one of the, I love Palm Sunday. It's one of my favorite days of the year. Uh, I, I uh, used to not really get into it as when I was an associate pastor up in Missouri. I, I kind of I was okay, you know, cool. It's like this weird palm branchy thing. Like we did this, like what we do today. And it was kind of odd, you know, like slapping your neighbor upside the face when you're worshiping, you know. And that's just like, I don't know, it's just kind of got me outside of my comfort zone. Well, now I love it because now I understand it a little bit better. But here we find uh, in the first century, 30 or 33 A.D., Jesus comes in. Man, he's done his whole 30 year, or three-year ministry. He's a week before he's going to die. He knows he's going to die on the cross. And so he comes in, and he is going to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah 9, 9. It talks about your king has come to you humble and riding on a donkey. And so he tells his disciples, basically, hey, go take this donkey from this neighbor over here. And they say, uh, why are you taking this donkey? And they say, well, the Lord needs it. And so he, they take the donkey, they bring it to him. And Jesus, now if you kind of understand, Jerusalem is on one hill, and the Mount of Olives is on another hill, okay? And so he comes over the top of the Mount of Olives riding on this donkey. And along the way, his disciples, his followers are, are shouting because they just saw not only these three years of miracles, and, but they just saw Lazarus raised from the dead. And this is like one of his biggest last miracles right there. And so it's powerful. And so, man, you just saw somebody raised from the dead and you weren't sure if this was the Messiah, but now you really get it. Okay, and here he is. And so they begin laying down their coats in front of him uh, as a symbol of he's a king, right? That's what you do. And they got these palm branches and they knew that Psalms 118 and the festival of booths, like I read this morning, that this symbolized the Messiah was coming, that these palm branches meant victory. And when you would sing Hosanna, it was a specific phrase out of Psalm 118 to say, save we pray. And it was for the Messiah. And so they understood this. They, that's what they were doing. And man, they thought that Jesus had come. I mean, they thought the Messiah had come, just like the church today is looking for the Messiah to come in the future. That's the same anticipation, the same eagerness, the same excitement that we would have today if Jesus showed up and started riding down our city street in a white horse. And we'd be thinking, oh my gosh, this is it. Everybody forget the church. Let's go run out there to the street. And you would just be just praising and worshiping and jumping and shouting. You'd be thinking, man, it's over. Life's trials are over. Pain, tribulation, suffering's over. Deliverance is here. Heaven's about to come down right now. You know, you just be telling the world off, you know, right? And so that's what these guys are ready. And they do this and they're singing this. And meanwhile, Jesus tops the hill. And the Pharisees begin to say, tell them to be quiet, tell them to be quiet. Because the Pharisees don't believe in who Jesus is. There's hardness, there's sin in their heart. They're missing this visitation, all right? And, and while, oh, you got to get this picture. While Jesus is all this crowd is around him and singing Hosanna, the Pharisees are saying, shh, stop it. This isn't him, you know, it's not him. Jesus begins to weep. And it's a very beautiful picture. Now let's look at this real quick this morning. Luke 19, verse 41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, Jerusalem, and he wept over it. And here's what he said. He said, if you had known even in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. Everybody say peace. Peace. That's key. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children with you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you, here's the key, did not recognize 
the time of your visitation. Okay, what's going on here? What does this mean? Jesus comes in Jerusalem now. He's weeped as he's approached the city. And uh, he knows that Jerusalem, the name of the city, means peace. It's the city of peace. And he's beginning to weeping. He's saying, you, the city of peace, you're not understanding. The people, he knows that he's going to get crucified. He knows that uh, his, many will turn away from him. And he knows that uh, at the end of the day, he's going to die for the sin of the world, right? He begins to weep because he's like, I'm here to give you something. I'm here to reward you. I'm here to give you this peace. But yet you, the city of peace, doesn't understand. You don't know. You're blinded by sin. You don't get it. And so he comes in and he begins to teach something very kind of controversial. Part of his message during this Holy Week, you'll hear, if you begin to read through the passages this week, I'd encourage you to do. Um, it would be special every night. I would encourage you to read through what happened on this day uh, in the Gospels. But he begins to teach something. He says, hey, this temple... This thing, this glorious thing around you is going to be destroyed. Oh, and man, that got them mad. Man, that got the religious people mad because the temple, man, that's the symbol of God's presence with Israel. Man, that's the, that's the center of all Jewish life and all Jewish tradition. And they were so blind. They're like, God's not going to do that. God would never. We are the people of God. You, bring, you can bring it because God's never going to take his temple away from us. That's the, we are awesome. We're special, right? We're the chosen ones, by the way. Didn't you know Jesus and so he begins to teach us. But what he really meant was that God was going to do something amazing. God was going to break down this old symbol of religion and, and separation where the glory of God was only in the temple. And in three days, he would raise up a new temple, a new body in Jesus Christ. And it would open up the Holy Spirit to be able to go to all of his children. And that you and I, every person, would be as living stones in the temple of God. We together collectively would make up a new temple with the enjoying of the Holy Spirit. And every person would be able to experience God's living presence within them. It was going to be a glorious day. Well, they were blind. They didn't understand. And so they hated him for it. And they began to reject his authority. Why? Because he began to, he set his self up as the authority of the world, right? He's king of kings, lord of lords. But because he uh, attacked their authority, what they thought, they were going to crucify him. They rejected his authority. You know what? When you and I reject the authority of God's word, we're going to give ourselves over to exile and captivity by the enemy. When we forsake the authority of God's word, we give ourselves over to exile by the enemy. And so what happens it becomes prophesied. They arrest him. They take him up on false charges and they begin to ask him, who do you are? Are you the Christ, the son, the Messiah, the son of God? And he says, I am he. When he says in Matthew 26, nevertheless, I tell you something. Hereafter, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. I come once, but I'm coming again. You see, they missed their visitation of salvation and they suffered a visitation of judgment. Why? Because in 70 AD, just not many years after Jesus was crucified, the Jews began to try to take their own authority over the city. They began to take their own authority against Rome. Having rejected Jesus' authority, they began to take power themselves. Isn't that how that works sometimes? We reject Jesus' authority and we try to do life on our own, right? And what happens is Rome comes in and they're mad because the Jews are trying to uh, start a rebellion. They level the city. They destroy the temple. They kill 600,000 Jews and they take many more of them captive. And this is what Jesus was weeping over a week earlier. 
He says, I see what's coming because you're going to reject my authority and it's going to lead you into captivity because you've missed your visitation of salvation. You're going to walk into a visitation of judgment. And he speaks spiritually and physically here, not only to the Jews who said, well, I'm rejecting your authority, God. I'm going to establish myself as authority. We're going to do it our way. We don't believe in you. Same thing happens spiritually for you and I today. When we reject the visitation that God is speaking to every single person on this world, he's speaking to you, he's speaking to me, and he's saying, hey, I want to give peace to you. I want to do something in your life. I want to bless you. I want to reward you. All you got to do is let me be king of your life. King of kings and Lord of lords. But when we turn from the, uh, the visitation of God's grace, we begin to walk into a visitation of judgment. Now look with me today. Are you missing your visitation? How many are suffering today because they've missed the visitation of Jesus Christ? And how many are suffering, will be suffering tomorrow? when they miss his final visitation on his second coming. They missed his visitation the first time. How many people will miss the visitation the second time? How many people will miss his final visitation? I'm going to tell you today, Jesus has come and he's coming again. And those who want to have his peace now and on that last day better receive his visitation of grace. And it's going to be those kind of people who are willing to walk in his way and worship Him as King. How many times do we miss it when God shows up? Have we received the good news He's got? Have we visited with the King today and are we receiving His peace? Have we missed our visitation? Missing your visitation. Let's talk about what is this? What's a divine visitation? Uh, you know, it's really this. A divine visitation is when God shows up. That's really the simple dictionary definition. When God shows up, how many people could say there's times in my life where I realized God showed up, right? You knew it. God moved in your life. God either uh, spoke to you. God impressed something upon you. God showed up on an altar. And the Bible says that when God shows up, oftentimes it will result in reward or it will result in punishment or judgment. It will result in grace or it will result in disgrace, disgrace, disgrace. Uh, And we look at this today and it's ultimately Jesus is saying, hey, what's going to happen here? I'm pointing you to my second visitation, because for the believer, when God shows up, it's a time of blessing. But for the unbeliever, it'll be a time of judgment. This is the way it works. Uh, And look at this Palm Sunday. Jesus comes to reward them, but they reject him. Why do you think people reject Jesus today? Why do you think people begin to, to say or, or miss God's opportunities? Man, God's speaking to so many people. Then they're driving down the road and, and a, a billboard comes by and they, they, they just get a prick in their thought or, or a song goes on the radio or, or they've heard brother or sister so-and-so speak something or mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. And you know it's stirring inside of them. And maybe you've been there before. You know, it's stirring inside of you and you've been, people have been telling you all along, man, uh, you've got to give it to Jesus. You've got to give it to Jesus. You need to go to church. You need to pray. You need to read your Bible. But something's stirring. It's like... It pricks them, but it pricks them the wrong way, right? How many people have been there before, right? Uh, they refuse. We refuse to commit ourselves to Him. We, we fail to follow Him as servants. We reject His Lordship. And it really comes down to this. You know what it is? What do you really believe about Jesus? Let me say it another way. Who do you really believe Jesus is? 
That's what was the difference between the Pharisees and these people who were worshiping. There were people who were walking the same way that he was walking, right? People who would walk his way. There were people who were worshiping him, the word of God. There are people today who are willing to worship the word. There are people today willing to walk in the same way that Jesus is going. And they are in line with him and they're receiving his peace. But there are those who say, I'm not quite sure he's really, really Lord. I'm really not quite sure if he's real. Because I guarantee you, if you thought he was real, you'd follow him. If you knew that he was king, if you really believed in who Jesus was, you'd begin to put other things away from your life and you begin to follow the way he's going. You begin to bow yourself down to him because I tell you what, there's going to come a day where Jesus, everyone will realize who he is. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. And there's no power that will stand up against him. There's no authority. There's nothing that we can hold on to and cling to uh, when we stand at that place. Because it w- you think about it this way. You know, it was Satan was the first one who rejected God's authority. And like him, when we pursue our own goals and glory, what do we do? We play God. You should write that down if you're taking notes today. When we pursue our own goals and glory, we play God. It's all about me, God. I'm, I'm going the way I want to go. God, it's, I'm, I'm building myself up. You know what you're doing? You're doing the same thing the devil was doing. We're playing God. We begin to think about ourselves before we think about the kingdom of God or before we think about the glory of God. We're pursuing our own interests, our own means, our own works, our own labors. We begin to uh, be blind to the same thing that blinded the devil himself, and that was pride. And that we realize, uh, we don't even realize that without God, we're powerless. That's right. We're powerless to save ourselves. Because why? Sin kind of brings this false peace. These Pharisees really thought they had it all together. They thought, man, God's not going to take away the temple. God's not going to lead us into exile. He's already delivered us. We're saved. We're, we're doing good. Man, that's a false peace. You know the devil? Think about it. Satan, Lucifer himself, was able to stand in the presence of God and think, I'll be okay without this guy. Think about it. That's blinding. And, and we look at our lives and we think, well, man, so many come into church. Let's just be honest. Somebody come into church will sing Hosanna, Jesus King, and then go out and live like their king, right, of their own lives. Because it's this false peace that says, oh, I'm okay. Oh, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm, me and God, we're, we're cool. We're kosher. And just like Jerusalem, it meant peace, but they had no peace. You know what? When we are doing life our own way, we get this sense of false peace. We think things like this. You know, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm okay with God. We're good. Things are going pretty good. Well, you know, life's never really perfect, but if it was close, I'm, I'm all right. Me and God, we're, we're okay. Yeah, you know, I, I love Jesus. Amen. Love the flag. Got my guns. Hallelujah. Keep that Second Amendment right. We're all good. Amen. And I, yeah, I, want, I vote for prayer in schools, and I'm, um, I'm not pro-choice, and I'll have my Jesus bumper sticker on, and I'll come to a couple Easter's and Christmases and every now and then when I can make it. But, you know, life's really busy right now, but I really do love Jesus, right? Okay, but me and God, we're okay. Uh, if, but if we were really honest, you know, things we would say, you know, if I was really honest, my marriage just isn't as good as it should be. I'm not really where I ought to be. If I was really honest, you know, I'm a little nervous. I'm anxious about my finances. Uh, I just really toss and turn a lot of nights. And, you know, me and my spouse are arguing over all these things. And, and you know, uh, my friends aren't the kind of friends I really, really need right now. I, none of my friends are calling me. None of my friends notice me. Uh, if honest, I'd be honest, she or he stabbed me in the back multiple times. But, you know, they're my friends. We grew up together. Uh, and 
And if I was really, really honest, when I'm by myself, I'm probably really not happy with myself. You see, sin blinds us to the false peace. And Jesus asks, he asks that very question. He says, do you know the things that make for peace? Oh, that you would know the things that make for peace. He's like, oh, man, if, if you would just come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'd give you rest. But guess what? You've got to take my yoke upon you because my burden is lighter. You're trying to rule your own life in authority. But if you just let me rule your life, you would understand. Yes, while you have to submit to authority, it's going to be better. It's going to be lighter. And if you would just understand the way to peace, I would give you peace like no one else. A heavenly peace would I leave with you. And even though you'd have trouble in the world, you'd have a peace within. It would be a peace between you and God. It would be a peace in your heart and in your soul. He said, and so Jesus, here's this great king, and you've got to get this picture the great king of the universe, the one who established the stars in the sky and the moon and who spoke life into existence and he could take dust out of the ground and, and he could uh, mold it in his hands and he could make it into humanity. Know any scientists that can do that yet? Right? And he could just breathe and, and life would begin and he could just speak things and, and it would be, be so. This God comes to earth and he begins to weep. He begins to weep. You know, uh, I read a quote the other day. It says, we don't often find Jesus laughing in the Bible, but we often find him weeping. He knows the gravity of what's going on in this world today, that people are missing their visitations. People are missing the opportunity for peace in their life. They're missing the opportunity for grace in their life. And so it's not just about the physical destruction that was coming, but it's about the spiritual destruction that awaits every single person who misses the plan of God in their life. Because there's a final visitation coming, and he knows if they don't accept the invitation now, it'll be too late then. That there is a final visitation, that it's going to, if you don't accept the visitation of grace, you'll end up in a visitation of judgment. If you just known how happy you would be if you'd let me care for you. How happy we would be, how happy so many people would be if they just let Jesus care for them. Amen? Now, what is this exile thing? You know, they're walking in exile. What happens when we miss the visitation of God's grace? What are the consequences to this? You know, the word exile means this. It means captivity to the enemy. It means when we, it's that time in our life when we don't live in the full blessings of the promise. Israel should have really known what would have happened. Because, hey, man, think about this. Long before, history repeats itself. Long before, when Israel missed out uh, after the legacy of Joseph, when they turned away from the things of God and the Word of God, and they stopped worshiping the Word of God, and they stopped walking in the pathway of God, uh, they ended up in slavery in Egypt, under bondage to Pharaoh and, and the Egyptians. And again, man... Uh, uh, Moses delivers them and the kings are established and David comes and then all of the sons screw up the whole thing and the kingdom split. They begin to fall away. They begin to stop worshiping in the word. They begin to stop walking in the way of God and they go to exile to Babylon. Babylon takes them captive. That's what most of the end of the Old Testament is about. And God delivers them finally again. And so they should know, yeah, you know what? God's allowed us to walk out of his grace before. God's allowed us to get to that place you know, I think some people would look at this and be like, well, well, pastor, well, maybe maybe this wilderness time, maybe this captivity time, maybe this time where the enemy is really fighting against me and maybe I don't feel like I have all the blessings of God. But, you know, I love Jesus. Maybe in this trial, 
Pastor Heath, just something I'm going through, part of God's plan. Doesn't God lead us into the trials and tribulations, into temptation? You know what? That's true. God sometimes does lead us into the storms of life because he wants to bring us through and he knows he's going to glorify himself. And the Bible says the testing of your faith will produce endurance. You know, that's true. Sometimes God leads his saints into hard times to show how glorious he is, show how faithful he is. But you know what? God never leads you into spiritual captivity. God never leads you to be unburdened to something, or to be owned by something. He never leads you uh, to where that lust takes over your life. He never leads you to a place where that alcohol, those drugs, that sex, that those things, that money begins to take over your life and take your peace away from you. He never leads you into captivity. God always delivers. He is the deliverer, right? And we look at these things, and I think people you know, come to my office or you know, in, in ministry sometime, and they begin to think, well, I love Jesus, I'm in Jesus, but at the same time, I'm a captive to so many things. These relationships, these problems, this stress, my language, my heart, my unforgiveness, maybe it's anger, all these different things. I begin to, my life is captive to these things. Maybe it's just the wrong way of thinking. And I want to look at them and I want to say something. God doesn't keep us in captivity. God delivers us from the enemy. Amen? God is a deliverer. He does not. He weeps over us when we walk away from his grace and his peace. And look at this. Look at uh, look at Proverbs chapter one, verse twenty nine. It says this. Why is disaster come sometimes? This is not in every case. But why does disaster come? I think for this reason. The proverb says this, that wisdom of God says, for they hated knowledge. They did not choose to fear the Lord. They rejected God's advice. They paid no attention when he corrected them. So they must eat the bitter fruit of their own living. The things that choke on their own schemes, because verse 33, but all who listen to God will live in peace, untroubled by the fear of harm. When we reject the visitation of God, we run headlong into self-destruction. I could tell you story after story of people who I've counseled with, who I would be telling them, I don't think that's where God would have you to go. But they were set that, yes, I'm really going for that relationship. Yes, I'm really going for that, that pursuit. I really feel like I need to take a break. I really feel like I need to do this. I really feel like that my marriage is over. I need to go for this direction. I, need to, I really feel like he or she or this or that is the thing for my life. And then you see what? They walk themselves right into captivity because they miss the visitation of God's grace and peace. When we miss the visitation of God's grace, we find ourselves in exile, captive to the enemy. And there are natural consequences today for missing God. This isn't the cheer you up message perhaps you came here to hear today, but I believe it's for the word, uh, those are the word of the Lord. Uh, there are natural consequences when we miss the visitation. When Jesus comes knocking on our door, I see something. I want to bless you today. I want to reward you today. I want to give you peace. We fail to answer that that little that that Holy Spirit's moving on us and trying to tell us something, trying to grow us to that next place in our life, trying to take us to that next season in our life. And we begin to, well, I really like authority over my own life. Maybe I'll wait a little bit. I really like the pathway that I'm headed right now. I really like the level of involvement that I'm in right now, God. I really like the way I'm, I'm using my finances right now, God. I really like the relationships that I have right now, God. He's still knocking. And we begin to keep that door shut. And it says that basically neglecting Jesus results in two things. It results in temporary judgment and it results in eternal judgment. Let me give you an example. For instance, let's say that you, the God, the, Jesus is dealing with you and, and we ignore him. 
we begin to pray over that job and we really don't listen to the Holy Spirit or whatever, you know, that job we take sometimes can ruin us. Or perhaps it's that relation, that late relationship we want, we look back and it ended up breaking us. Or maybe it's that friend that we shouldn't be having and that we find out stabs us in the back later. Or maybe it's that, that thing that we're going through, we really wanted to do this or that. We'll find out in the end, man, it really wasn't what I thought it was. Jesus is weeping. And he's trying, just listen, he's trying to save so many people from falling on their own face because he loves them so very much. And he goes even further. That's the temporary stuff, man. You can look, we could all do it. Look back at my life and say, man, I really was out of step right then. But thank God. Thank God, right? There's eternal judgment as well. For those who continue to not receive that divine knock, man, Jesus is weeping continually over so many people who are saying, you know, God, I'm, I'm doing good right now. We're okay right now. What, the system I have in place in my life is really working. There's, you think about it, the Pharisees are thinking, this is working, Jesus. God's temple's here. The Holy Spirit's there. I show up once a week, and we pay our dues. I say my prayers. We go through the worship. Okay, isn't that good? Isn't that good enough? Don't all that you need from me, you can pay my tithes. I, I sing some songs. I love my Lord. I wear the Christian clothes. We don't cuss. We don't drink. We don't smoke. We, my family's doing good, God. And he's still knocking. He's like, but I want to be right here. I want to be right here in your heart. I want to be in that place that when the trials come, even though the world's going to bring you tribulation, you're going to have peace that endures through the night and joy will come in the morning. Right? That's the kind of God I want to be in your life. And what it requires for those when that second, that trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise and that final visitation, Jesus comes and He gathers His elect from the four winds and He, and he takes them up to heaven, that we're not left in that place where we're in, the, we're in final exile. A place where there is no coming back, or a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, and He is weeping, church, for so many to say, would you just let me give you some peace? Right? Would you just let me bless you? Would you just let me be ruler of your life? Because I tell you what, we will either build our lives upon Jesus, their cornerstone, or we will be crushed by our attempts to become Him. We can't be God of our lives. We've got to let God do that. I think about these guys in the, in the Hosanna. Man, you know what they're doing? When you take off that coat, you begin to lay it before him. So many people think this. They think, man, I, I don't know, Pastor. That's a lot of authority. I can't. I, where's my freedom, uh, my, my to-dos, and, and all the things I've got to give up? And they focus on the things they're giving up. They don't focus on the things they're getting, right? And those people, they begin to lay their coats off that outer mantle. You know, that's kind of symbolic of the authority of their life, it's symbolic of their lives, and they begin to lay it down on that, that road. And some people don't want Jesus to walk all over them. Let me just say it that way. Some people don't want to be walked over by Jesus. They're like, ah, that's going to hurt, right? What they don't understand is he didn't come first on a white horse with armor and swords and is going to be a hard ride on top of. But when we lay down that, that Prince of Peace who is humble and gentle... Man, Jesus will take authority over your life, but it will be humble and it will be gentle. If you just lay your life before Him and bow down at His feet and worship that Word and walk in His way and you give up authority, you'll find that He is a good, good Master. He's a great King. He's the Prince of Peace. And it's, it's a good day to give up authority over your life. Amen? And here's the other good news. You know what? You can cry out Hosanna anytime. 
Maybe today you're feeling like you're going through exile and you feel like, God, I don't know where I am. I don't know where you are. The Bible says that in uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, while Israel was in exile, he said this to them. He said, even though you're in exile, even though you've walked away from me, even though you've missed your visitation of grace and you've walked yourself into a place where I didn't want you to go to begin with. It wasn't in my will for you to be captive to the enemy or in exile and away from me. My will is that you would come to me. But he says this. He says, if you're in exile today, I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare, not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. And then you'll call to me and I will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your what your heart. When you begin to say, yes, Jesus, I know maybe me and you aren't where we should be, but I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I hear this visitation going on and I know you're weeping over me and you want to bless me. And so, God, I'm willing to lay my life down before you and let you walk on top of me. I'm willing to worship the word. I'm willing to go the same direction, God, you're going to. And so, God, I cry out one word. Hosanna. Save me, I pray. Hosanna. Save me, I pray. Save us, we pray. I don't know where you are today, but we have a God that even though you were in exile, even though they rejected him and crucified him, he was willing to pray this prayer on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Man, that's a good God. That's a good king. That's a king who's saying, I just love them, right? I just love them. I'm, I'm willing to die for them. And you know what he did? While he could have shut the door to that first visitation, he could have said, door is closed. I try to knock on the door and, and the opportunity to visit the invitation. Uh, I'm, I'm done. I'm, God, I died for the sins. Those who believe today, we're good. Let's take them up. We're done. Destroy the world. So God, I, I want to leave it open. God, forgive them. Open. Leave this door of visitation open. Leave this door to grace open. Open it up to the Gentiles. Open it up to the whole world, God. That anybody... Whosoever will believe, God could come on in. Who could fellowship with me? But I tell you what, church, there is going to be a final day of visitation when the door will shut and he'll say, come on home. And are we going to be visiting him in grace or will it be disgrace? Well, that final visitation, what will it be? I want to read one passage and close with this. First Peter chapter two, verse four. Turn there with me if you can. First Peter chapter two, verse four, because there are four things I want you to take home with today. Four things I want you to take home today in response to this Hosanna, in response to this visitation. Because Jesus says, I want you to cry out. I want you to come to me. And I, I've done something for you. Remember, he said the temple would be destroyed, but I'm going to raise up the temple in my body, right? Now, here's Peter. Peter, having known all this and seen all this, right, writes this letter. And this is very interesting. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Let's go through this real quick. There are four things you should pull out of this passage in response to today. It says, and coming to him as living stones, which have been rejected by men. Remember, he was first rejected. We too be rejected by men, which is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones be built up together as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Offer up spiritual sacrifices. That's worshiping the word acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is in scripture. Behold, I lay a Zion, a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. That's from Psalm 118, the Hosanna Psalm, right? How awesome that Peter does this. He says, this precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, that's the grace and disgrace. 
The stone which the builders rejected has become the very cornerstone. It's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You can either be built upon this rock of Jesus Christ or you'll crush yourself trying to become it. And he says, but remember this. They stumbled because they were disobedient to the word and they doomed those. And to this doom, they were they were appointed. But you today, those who are crying Hosanna, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And you can proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And you were once not a people, but now you're the people of God. And you had not received mercy before, but now you have received mercy. And he says this, I uh, beloved. I urge you as aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lusts, which weighs war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, among the world, so that in the thing, get this, in the thing that they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, they will observe them and glorify God in the day of the visitation. Whoo! Now, if there's not parallels in the Bible, that's, I don't know what that is, right? He's saying what? Four things. Number one, Reject, be rejected by the world. Jesus Christ was rejected by the world. And so we should reject the world, the things of the world, the things in the world, and be willing to be rejected ourselves. That means deny self and deny the world. That is salvation right there. He says, I've got to be willing to say, oh, God, I'm going to come out from where I am, in this place of exile. I'm giving up the things I was living in before. I'm giving up authority of my life. I'm rejecting the way the world lives and thinks authority. God, I'm, I'm giving to you. Got to give you authority over my life. I'm willing to be rejected by the natural way this world works to follow you, salvation. And he says, number one, number two, be built together as his temple. Now you collectively, all of you in this room, together with all the churches in Gene and all the churches around the world, you are the greatest temple the world has ever seen. The biggest building that could even possibly house the presence of God. And God is now living in you. So you know what that means? Be holy. That means build one another up in love because that person over there is the temple and dwelling of God. And that person over there is the temple the, of the Holy Spirit. You together respect one another, love one another, build up God's church, add people to it, more stones in the brick on the wall. Man, that's our sanctification. That's our, our salvation, our repentance and our salvation. And he says, number three, live for the glory of God. Because you're holy, he says, now stop sinning. Stop living for yourself. Build one another up and do things for God's glory. Walk in His way. Worship His Word, just like those people on that Palm Sunday road. Number four, finally, be watching for His visitation. Jesus Christ came once, but He's coming again. The Bible says that all will see Him. All will see Him. He's coming in the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those that pierced Him. So you know what we're to do today? Peter says, now live your life as a witness to the world that they will glorify God before he comes again on his final visitation. That's our mandate, church. Jesus Christ is coming again. There's his final visitation. Let the world see and know, man, it's okay to let Jesus walk over your life. Give him authority. Give up living in exile. Respond to this visitation of grace. Get true peace in your life because Jesus, man, he's weeping over so many that are lost today. Amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Worship team, would you come? Hallelujah, Lord God. Just make an altar to where, wherever you are today. Would you just begin to just seek the Lord? Would you just begin to find that place right now? Nobody moving around, nobody looking around. Just between you and God. You're just communing with Him. He's here to visit you today.
He's here to talk with you today. He's here to bless you today. He's here to give you peace today. And let's not miss a visitation today from God. Let's not miss it if Jesus shows up and wants to speak to you. Would you you just do that? Just make that special place with you and God right now. Hallelujah, Lord God. We just make this place available for your Holy Spirit to move, God. Lord, maybe you're wanting to speak to someone and visit with them today. Maybe you want to commune with them, God. Maybe you're knocking at their door of their heart and say, maybe, Lord, that they're not in a place of peace with you. Maybe if they died today, Lord, they wouldn't have peace in eternity either. You're wanting to save them. You're wanting to bring them out of their exile of their life, under, out of the captivity of the enemy. Lord, you're not wanting them to walk further on into their own plans or devices because you know, God, if they kept walking the way they're going to go, not only are they going to fall on their face in this world and receive disappointments, but God, there's going to be a final day, God, where, where the door will be shut and it'll be the final visitation. God, and you love them so very much and you want to see them saved and set free. You want to see them living in peace and fellowship with you. Maybe there are those here today, God, that, Lord, they do love you and, and they're, they're with you, but God, they've been living in a place where, God, they're finding themselves distant. God, they, they're gaining more and more authority of their own life and they're, they're trying to hold on to too many things, God. And they're, if they were really honest with themselves, God, they would have to say, Jesus, I, I really need to lay some things down before, before your feet. I need to give up some authority in my life. And Lord, maybe there's some depression or uh, discouragement or some uh, captivity, God, that's trying to creep back in. The enemy's really been trying to get ownership of their life again. And God, they would just cry out, Hosanna today. And Lord, and let your spirit come down and deliver them and sanctify them and set them free. And Lord, they would turn from sin and anything in their life trying to rule their life and just turn to you. Or maybe there are those here today, Father, they've lost their voice. They're in exile God, they know You, they love You, but God, they just feel without You. And Lord, they, they're going through seasons in their life, God, where they just, they're trying to shout, but God, they just, seems like nothing comes coming out. God, but You want them to know today that You hear their hearts cry. And if they would just pray it back to You and just call out to You, Hosanna, Lord, save me. Lord, deliver me. God, You will deliver them because You said, I know the plans I have for You to give You a future and a hope. God, You know the plans for their life. And if they would just, if every person in this room today would just say, God, I give up my plans for my life and God, I follow Your plans. God, You're going to bring them peace. You're going to bring them peace. I just want to pray with You. The Bible says that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, that we confess them with our mouth.